moving through the Lord's Prayer, and we're now to uh, your kingdom come. And we we saw how that was uh, a revolutionary prayer last week. So we're trying to understand what does it mean when we pray your kingdom come. We saw that's a this is a revolutionary prayer for for a few reasons. One, that has not naturally been the desire of people, and not just of some people, but of any people. From the from the very beginning, we have shocked the kingdom of God. We haven't desired for it to come. When it's been there, we've run away from it. Uh, we have rejected it. So you go back. We looked all the way from the beginning. The story of Adam and Eve, uh, the Tower of Babylon. Man, man has been rejecting the rule of God from the very beginning and sought to establish their own rule. So we saw that uh, if you're looking at the history of the kingdom of God, man has rejected God's kingdom and pursued their own. If they've rejected God, we've rejected him for for the sake of ourselves. Uh, And we saw that even the people of God, as you move through the Bible, even God's people, the, the Jews, the Israelites, even they reject God as king, Uh, because they want to be like the nations, which is doubly uh, heinous because, remember, they're not supposed to be like the nations. They're supposed to be holy. So not only are they shucking God, they're shucking their entire purpose uh, in existence. He, The reason that he made them uh, so running from God's kingdom. So even the people of God uh, are, are running from, aren't saying, your kingdom come, are wanting more kingdoms like the nations. And then we saw ultimately... The ultimate rejection of the kingdom of God uh, was in the rejection of Christ, where the the world rejects the king himself, where we choose, you know, criminals and Caesars (laughs) over Christ. Uh, The ultimate example of the kingdom of God uh, coming and us saying we want no part of that. So that's why we say this is a, for Jesus to tell us, pray this, ask God for this, that's revolutionary because that's not what people have naturally been asking in the history of humanity. So that's revolutionary. It's also revolutionary because based on what we just looked at, it's not a natural prayer for our fallen hearts. So there has to be a revolution in us for us to even want to pray this prayer. They're already, it's when we're asking for God's kingdom to become, it's kind of ironic. We wouldn't be praying that prayer unless God's kingdom had come in our own hearts. So we wouldn't even ask for this. Uh, we wouldn't even pray this if the king hadn't already said, Hey, I wasn't asking for you to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in and 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 place myself on the throne of your heart, kicking out the principalities and powers uh, that exist there, uh, and setting up His rule and His reign. And if God hadn't started a revolution in our hearts, we would never, well, really pray any of this prayer. But especially, wouldn't be praying this this verse here at the start of verse seven. We wouldn't be wanting God's kingdom to come. We wouldn't be asking for it. It's only uh, when God has caused a revolution in our own hearts through Christ and the work of the Spirit that you and I will, will pray this at all. Uh, so this is, see this as a very revolution. See yourself as a really the special place that you have in the history of humanity that we're, we're actually wanting this. And don't let that make you prideful. Don't let that make you boastful. Let it give you assurance that the kingdom uh, has come and is coming. And we'll see more of that uh, next week, depending on how far we get today. Uh, but this prayer is also revolutionary, like we said, because of what it is calling for. We're calling out for God's kingdom. But here's what I want us to ask. When we're saying that, when we're saying your kingdom come, the question we've got to ask is, well, what are we asking for? What are we praying for? When we ask for God's kingdom, what are what should we expect? Why are we asking for the kingdom? What is the kingdom? What makes it so great that you and I would 
wanted. And so that's what we're going to look at starting this week. We're going to ask, what is the kingdom of our Heavenly Father? When we're praying, our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name, we want your kingdom to come. We want the kingdom of our Heavenly Father to come. What are we asking for when we ask for that? What are we longing for? And to understand that, we have to look at how God's kingdom is described in Scripture. Because we can say all sorts of things about what we think the kingdom of God is going to be. All sorts of, you know, so when we say your kingdom come, we can have all sorts of ideas of what that kingdom is going to be and why we're going to love it and we're going to be high-fiving and playing basketball with Jesus for, you know, whatever, you know, we can go all over the place in why we want the kingdom, but we don't want that. We want, we want to know what the Bible says about it. We want to know what Scripture says, or the next thing you know, we'll just all, all of a sudden, we're all angels, and it's this eternal kingdom of floating on clouds and singing hymns from the 1950s. Uh, and we want to make sure that our understanding of the kingdom is a biblical one. So here's the, the first caveat as, we, as we're looking into the kingdom. I'm just going to be looking at the, the Bible's description uh, of God's kingdom and I want you to know, I won't be able to talk about everything. Uh, I'm not, I've already, like, any, like, so as we've been working on this, they're like, you know, how's this sermon going? I'm like, it's mostly editing. Uh, and it, there are, like, a thousand verses. Uh, it's funny, there are actually about uh, right under 3,000 verses that mention kings and kingdoms, in, which makes it fun to search through the entire scripture looking at that, uh, that mention the, you know, just kingship and kingdoms and many of those referencing God and his king. So I want you to know I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. We could spend well over a year just focusing on when we say your kingdom come, what are we talking about? I mean, we could really dive into it, uh, but we're not going to be able to do that. So I'm just going to give you, we're just going to give a flyby of the kingdom. We're going to give you enough to be able to recognize it. It's just a it's, I mean, we're not even going to stop at the airport terminal to pick up souvenirs. We're just going to, we're going to fly over to make sure we understand uh, what the kingdom is in a general sense. And then if you want to dive into it more uh, and, and get deeper into what that kingdom is going to be, man, you're going to see that really what we're going to give you is, is just going to be filled out more and more deeper uh, and deeper. So if you've got, if you've got like something about God's kingdom that you love, or you've already, you've got a question that you hope I answer. And if I don't answer it, I am so sorry. If I don't talk about your favorite part of the kingdom, I'm, I'm so sorry. Know that I would, if it's scriptural, I would, uh, if we had enough time. And if you want to talk about it, or if you want an answer to a question, just come ask. I mean, I love that. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. Um, and I'm trying to convince some of you of that because you call me and you go, sorry to ask you this question. And I'm like, this is the coolest part of my day right here. Uh, so anyway, let's start uh, let's start our flyby, and let's do it by reminding ourselves of the prayer itself. So let's look at Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus is going to tell us to pray in this way. Pray then like this. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word, and we'll see how we are supposed to pray according to the words of Christ in Scripture. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask today that your kingdom would come, the kingdom of our heavenly Father. And we're thankful that as we saw last week, Father, we would only be praying this if your kingdom hadn't, had already come in our hearts to set us free from the rulers that once sat on, uh, on that unholy dead throne. So thank you, Father, for making us alive. Thank you for becoming our king. I pray that today we would be worshiping and praising you and that we would be longing for your kingdom to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so this is the prayer. We're supposed to pray then like this. We saw hallowed be uh, your name. We're supposed to want our Father's name to be holified. And now we're supposed to want our heavenly Father's kingdom to come. So our Father who's in heaven, may your name, your, the name of our heavenly Father be holified now. May the kingdom of our heavenly Father come. So that's a, the next request, your kingdom come. So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, starting last week and uh, at least for another couple of weeks, but not a year. Uh, but again, like with, with hallowed be your name, often th- this is a phrase a, a lot of people, if we were to ask them, when we say we want God's kingdom to come, what does that mean? A lot of us would have a hard time really giving a specific answer that might be really general. We might talk in sort of metaphors, but we can't really get specific. We don't really know when we say your kingdom come, we don't really know what we're asking for. We don't really know. And, and, and if we do have a general idea, a lot of times we don't, we, even if we're right, we don't know the scripture to back it up. We don't know why we're right. We don't know what we're asking for when we say your kingdom come. We don't know what's driving this and, and why this would be something that we'd be praying. And so that's what we're going to see today. When we're praying for our Father's heavenly kingdom to come, what are we praying for? What are we asking for? Because we don't want to, again, this isn't just a mantra prayer. We want to know what we're asking God. We, when, we, when Jesus says, pray then like this, he's assuming that we understand what the kingdom of our heavenly Father is. So we want to make sure uh, that we do that. So let's begin just to start in how the kingdom of God is described. That's where we're going to So when we talk about the kingdom of God, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, how is it described? Well, there are a few names given to the kingdom of God. One is just a very general, this is the kingdom, right? Like if, if you could have capital letters in the Greek uh, or in the Hebrew, this would be the word the would be all, this is the kingdom. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you'll see talk of not just a kingdom or a king, but this is the kingdom. Okay. So when you see that, you know, this is talking about the kingdom of our heavenly father. But then it's got a few, a, a couple more specific names. One is the kingdom of God. So if you're reading your Bible, you see the kingdom of God. Uh, this is especially going to be focusing on the, on the New Testament here. That's the, that is the most popular reference to the kingdom of our heavenly father is to call it the kingdom of God. It appears about 80 times uh, in the New Testament. And most of those are going to be in Luke and Acts. I think it's like 66% somewhere in there. About two-thirds are going to be found in Luke uh, and Acts on this, talking about the kingdom of God. The other term that is used is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. We see this less often. Just at about 30 times in your Bible, you're going to see the kingdom of God or the kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to find those only in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, that's solely a Matthean, if you, if you love good Bible words, people are going to go, ooh, that Matthean, that sounds very smart. Uh, 
Uh, it's solely found in the Gospel uh, of Matthew. Uh, but really, when you're looking at that, so you're going, oh, what's, what's the kingdom of God? And, ooh, what's the kingdom of... Those are really the same thing. Those are, those, are, those are two terms for the same thing. Jesus uses them interchangeably. If, you wanna, if someone is going to bring this up to you and be like, well, actually the kingdom of God is this, and the kingdom of heaven is this, and you want to be able to show them that's not accurate biblically, you can take them to Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24, where Jesus uses them interchangeably. Where he talks about the kingdom of heaven, then he switches and calls it the kingdom of God back to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and really, the rest of the, the Gospels use them interchangeably too. So you'll have one story uh, in one account, like say, for example, Luke, same story where the word that is used might be kingdom of God. Uh, and then in Matthew, as the story is told, it's kingdom of, of heaven. So they're just used interchangeably by the Gospel writers. So we don't want to make a, a big deal about it. So when we're talking about your kingdom come, we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as you're reading your scriptures, you're going to see these. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom, okay? So, so this is going to be a phrase mentioned. We just said uh, over 100 times in the New Testament that you're going to see these ideas brought up. So the kingdom is no small thing, right? It's no, it's no minor thing. And in fact, we're actually told that the kingdom of God is not a secondary issue. That, okay, so, so how the kingdom works out, there might be disagreement on. In the particulars of how the kingdom is going to come and the methods and means by which God is going to do that, but that there is a kingdom that is coming is of absolute centrality to the gospel message. And it is, it is, the kingdom is actually an essential part of God's work. Jesus himself actually says that when he is preaching, he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Okay. So if we're gonna. So a lot of times, because we get into all these uh, eschatological questions about how the kingdom is going to come, we often make the kingdom less important than it is. You cannot get rid of the kingdom. The kingdom is a is a vital part of the gospel. So that Jesus can say, this is Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what does Jesus call it? He calls it the gospel of the kingdom. And in describing Jesus' ministry, his entire work on earth was to go around to proclaim, to announce, to make known, the Bible says, the gospel of the kingdom. So for example, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, this is just one example. There's several passages that say this, but I just want to show you at least one and he, he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So the, the kingdom is an essential part of the message of the gospel. The kingdom is, it is a gospel of the kingdom, which teaches us two things. One, that the kingdom is essential and two, that the kingdom is good news. It is a gospel of the kingdom. In terms of the kingdom of God being essential, the, the kingdom of God, the coming of that kingdom are so core that the message can be called the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus preaching the gospel, but he's preaching the gospel of what? The gospel 
of the kingdom. So we cannot treat the kingdom of God as an insignificant matter. We can't act like, well, so for example, if you're preaching the gospel to someone, if you're sharing the gospel, then you your gospel presentation had better include the hope of the kingdom, which is typically something we don't include. Which is, if you go through gospel presentations, a lot of times there's not the, the, the promise of the kingdom. Uh, and so we need to make sure that the kingdom is part of our message of the gospel. So that if Jesus were to ask you, what gospel were you, you sharing there? You could say, I was sharing the gospel of the kingdom. I was sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God. I was sharing the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I was sharing the gospel of the kingdom. And so, but in order to do that, we've got to know what the kingdom is. And I think a lot of times that's why we sometimes maybe eschew the kingdom in talking to people about the gospel because we're not even really sure how to talk about it or what it is to begin with. But we've got to understand multiple times in scripture, the gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. So if the gospel that we're sharing or the gospel that we're living doesn't involve the kingdom, it is a truncated gospel. It is not a complete gospel. So I would encourage you, figure out how you can get the gospel in your gospel messages to people in your presentation. When you're sharing to people about salvation, share also the hope, the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom. And that's the second thing is that the gospel is essential or the kingdom is essential. The second is that the kingdom is good news. Uh, it's funny, for much of my life as a Christian, I was afraid of the kingdom of God. Uh, it, is, I, it is still... Uh, one of the most vivid nightmares that I have. Uh, one of my most visit, vivid nightmares, waking up, sweating, scared to death, was that Jesus had come back. Uh, I remember I remember where I was in my bedroom as probably about an 11, 12-year-old boy. I remember peeking through the shades of my bedroom as Christ had returned. It, in, in my mind, it was not good news, the kingdom uh, of God. And this was as a believer. It had, it had sort of taken on it had always been presented like this I mean, like thief in the night type boogeyman uh where uh anyway certainly wasn't presented as a message of good news uh and so i had more fear of the kingdom than i did hope in it but here we see the kingdom is good news it is the gospel it is the good news of the kingdom so when we're praying for the kingdom to come We've got to make sure that we recognize the kingdom is good news. We're not praying for something bad to happen. We're not praying for a whooping. Uh, you know, this is this is you know this is praying and asking for something that really should excite our heart, that should bring us joy, as we're as we're going to see in just a little bit. So when we're so recognize when we're praying for the kingdom of our heavenly Father to come, it's a prayer for the advancement of the gospel. Let the gospel of the kingdom, we want the gospel of the kingdom, with the good news of the kingdom. It's a prayer for the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of good news. And it's a, it's a message of hope and of confidence. Okay, so that's just general understanding of the kingdom and how essential it actually is. It's not a minor part when we say we want your, your kingdom to come. So what is this kingdom like? If this kingdom is good news, 
if this kingdom is something, it should give us hope. If this kingdom is part of the, the gospel, if it is something we should, we should want, what kingdom are we praying for? Why? Why is it good news? Why do we want it to come? What is so great about his kingdom? And I think the, the two chief things that we saw, or the two chief things we can see in the kingdom, we're going to steal from the two words used to describe the kingdom. Okay? It is the kingdom, but then the two specific ones were kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. I think those are actually helpful ways to understand different focuses of the kingdom, different foci of, of the kingdom. The, the first, when we talk about kingdom of God, we're talking about the who of the kingdom. We're talking about that God will be reigning. So why do we want the kingdom of, to come? Because it is the kingdom of God. Right? It's focusing on the who, that God is going to be reigning, and that's what makes the kingdom great. But also, it's called the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven focuses not on the who, but on the what. This is, this is that God will be reigning, that it will be on earth as it is in heaven to steal from what's going to be coming up in this prayer. So when we talk about the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we talk about the kingdom that is going to come, we can focus on the who of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the what. It is the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth, right? So we can focus on those two things, and that's how we're going to break it down uh, at least for the next couple weeks. This week, we're going to start with the who. We're going to talk about why do we want the kingdom to come? Because of who the king is. Uh, we want the kingdom to come because it is the kingdom of God. And so we're going to start out seeing what's so great about the kingdom and why do we want the kingdom and why would we pray of all things, uh, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holified be your name, your kingdom come. Why would we want that? Because of who the king is in that kingdom. So what is so great about having God as king? What is so great about having God be the one who rules and reigns? Uh, let's look at passages that praise not just the kingdom, but we're going to look at passages that praise the king of that kingdom. So there's a lot of passages talking about how great the kingdom is. We're going to look at passages that praise the kingdom because of who the king is, or that praise the king uh, of that kingdom. First, uh, let's remind ourselves of the warning that God gave about the kings of the earth. So if we're going to see how great God is, let's remember how bad every other king is, right? Let's see that one of the great things about God is he's not anybody else. He is in this way a holy king. He is a separate, a distinct king, a king not like the kings of the earth. So we can see the holiness of God and that he's just not like these horrible kings. So remember, what are earthly kings like? Let's be reminded what earthly kings are like in the example that, that God gave to, to Samuel to tell the people. 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 9. Uh, we'll read through, through verse 18. Uh, now then, obey their voice, he's telling Samuel, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of kings who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said... These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen. 
and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his slaves. He will take the tenth the tithe of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his slaves. And he will take your male slaves, your female slaves, the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tithe of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So what is a normal king like? A normal king is taking, 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 which we are reminded of every April uh, when we file our taxes, that our kings still love to take and take it, that even kings who aren't kings love to take and take and take, uh, and in the end leave only what? Making slaves uh, of the people, bringing only tears, stealing our children, stealing our stuff, our, our families. That's what kings of the earth do. Right, So that's every other king that we could have, any of them. So that's the normal king. Well, how does the Bible describe the kingship of God? What type of king is the Lord? How is he a holy king? How is he a king like no other? So that we could say that we want the kingdom of God to come. We're tired of the kings of this earth who aren't even kings, who aren't even, who you, I mean, you can look, people love being kings. We've got three branches of government and they all want to be king and none of them are supposed to be. Uh, And we've got all of this going on. Everyone wants to be a king and they all want to take. And we're like, we finally want someone who will rule over us that we can trust someone, someone, uh, uh, a, a king that is not like everybody else. We want a holy king. What makes God so holy? What makes the kingdom of God so great? The first thing is that God is the great king. God is the great king. There are multiple passages that talk about God as king and call him the great king. There's no king like God. He is the great one. He is the king that all the other kings are just shadows of. He is the great, the holy king. Uh, but what is it that makes a God a, makes God the great king? We're going to see in each of these passages that call him the great king that there are things about God's kingship, about his reign that makes him great. That he is the great king because he does this. He is the great king because he does this. He's the great king because he does that. So let's look at a few examples. We're actually going to see four different examples of what makes God the great king. Okay? The first thing is that God protects his people. This is found in Psalm 47, verses 1 through 3. So if you got your notes, buy Psalm 47, 1 through 3. I didn't put a separate slide up for this. Uh, God is a great king because he protects his people. Look at what it says in Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. That Zach's going to read that before every time we sing. 
Uh, except maybe the clap your hands part. Then it's hard to people having rhythm issues. It just becomes a thing. Uh, clap your hands up, people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. So the psalmist here, the sons of Korah, call on the people to rejoice, to clap, to shout with joy. Why? Because the Lord is king overall, and he is a great king. And how is his greatness in this passage specifically displayed? He is conquering the enemies of his people. And the people who would subdue them, God is subduing under their feet. So not only is God protecting his people, God is subduing the people around them. He is placing the nations under the feet of his people. And you should be underlining that idea because nations under feet is going to be a big part for the kingdom uh, because that's what the that's what Christ is doing right now. Anyway, uh, so here we see uh, the, the great king, God, he is protecting his people by subduing the peoples under us by uh, taking the nations and putting them under the feet of his people. So what makes God great? He protects his people. God, why should you want the kingdom of God to be here? Why should we want the kingdom of our heavenly father to be here? Because God, when he reigns, protects his people. God is a king that protects his people. And that is what makes him great. Now, what you're going to see in what makes God a great God, is this the thing all, this is the thing all the other kings of the earth either say they want to do uh, and really do and can't, or say they want to do and don't do. Uh, so these are all going to be things that kings are supposed to do. These are all going to be things that kings say they want to do, that kings promise that they will do because they don't want you to overthrow them. Uh, so they say, I take my first duty as king is going to be to protect you people. Uh, and the best way to protect you is by taking your sons and making them soldiers and, you know, all this stuff. So, so, so God is great because he can actually do what the kings of the earth say they're going to do. God can actually conquer our enemies. He can subdue our enemies under us. He doesn't have to throw, if you want to compare this back to Samuel, he doesn't have to throw our, our sons as meat shields in front of his chariots in order to do so. God is a great king because he can protect the people without having to use our sons and our daughters as fodder in his, in his fight. So the first thing is God protects his people. That's what makes him a great king. But he's also a great king because he guides his people. So you've got protection that is sort of a hedging uh, behind, but he also hedges us sort of before in that he guides us in the way we should go. And that's what makes God great. We actually see this in Psalm 48. And we see it, if you want to begin at the, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. So this is why we've got songs about, you know, we're marching to Zion, this beautiful city of God in the far north, the city of the great king. So, and, and most, most of the psalm here in Psalm 48, as you're going to read it when you get home later, uh, as you're reading through it, most of the psalm is going to talk about how great the city is, how great Zion is, how great Jerusalem is, how God's kingdom is going to be viewed by the nations is really great. It's, this is the city of the great 
king. Uh, by the way, this, this calling Jerusalem the city of the great king is repeated by Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 35. So if you want to make a highlight where this Old Testament idea is repeated in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 35, Jesus is going to call Jerusalem the city of the great king. But that city in all its greatness, you know what it's meant to do? Who do you think it's, is it meant to lead to the praise of Jerusalem? Is it meant to lead to the praise of Zion? Is it meant to end with praising of, wow, your walls are great, and wow, your buildings are beautiful. Great job, Jerusalem. No, the greatness of the city actually by the end of the psalm causes the people to think about. So the the city of this great king causes the people in the end not to think about how great the city is, but how great the king is. So at the end of the psalm, they talk about what makes God the great king. So if you looking in verse, go down to verse 12 of Psalm 48. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation what? That this is God, our God forever and ever he will guide us forever. Now, what are they saying? Are they saying, walk around Zion, realize Zion is God, uh, fall down and worship the buildings? Uh, no, this is, not, this is not Psalm 48 setting us up for some great idolatry here. Uh, this is saying, when you look at what we've got here, realize this isn't from us. This isn't from this city. This is ultimately from God. This is what God does for his people, and what is it that he will do for his people forever and ever? What is the climax of this psalm? Look at how great this city is. Look at how look at how God has blessed us. Look at all this. Walk the ramparts. See the walls. Do look at everything that this great city is, and realize this all comes from God. And what is God going to do? What do we see God doing in this kingdom that we can know the great King will do? He guides his people. He will guide us forever. Yes, the city is great. Yes, Zion is great. But what does Zion teach us about? She teaches us about God. The great city teaches us about the great king. The kingdom always teaches us about the king. So these blessings, this this great city... The psalmist is saying it didn't build itself. She didn't build herself. These are, these are testaments to God. And what will God always do for his people? He will guide us forever. So what makes God a, a, a great king? God is a great king because he protects his people. He is a great king because he guides his people. Again, something all the kings of this say they're going to do. I'm going to, well, this city's going to be great. You're going to prosper. You're going to flourish under my reign. You, you won't believe what this city's going to look like when I'm done with it. Uh, and in the end, in the end, they can't keep their promises. The city is broken, uh, which is, again, this is, I mean, this is, this is foreshadowing what's going to happen to this great city when they reject their king. Um, this is foreshadowing what's going to happen in AD 70 uh, when no stone is left unturned in this city because they've thrown off that king. But even that will be a guiding uh, to them. But anyway, God is a great king because he protects people, because he guides his people. He is a great king 
because he defends his name. Now, here is something that we're like, but that's not about us, right? So we're like, oh, the other ones were good for us. He protects us and, and he guides us. This one's just about him taking care uh, of his name. But actually, that's something that makes God great. We, I mean, every king wants to make their name great. God actually does. He defends his name, and that's something that makes him a the great king. And we see this from Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. God is going to defend the the holification of his name. This is why we can say that when we said, God, holify your name, that's something God has always done and will always do. It's one of the things that makes him king. Uh, beginning in verse 14, it says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifice to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. So we see here, we see, we've seen how much God cares about his name, how he promises to hallow it, all that. We've looked at that. There, there are those, he says, among the people who don't hallow his name, who don't holify his name, who instead profane his name by offering blemish sacrifice. Now, they know the sacrifice they're supposed to give. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're not ignorant of what they should be giving to God, but instead they give him a blemish sacrifice. So they, they still keep the obligation of giving, but not what they're supposed to do. And God says, you are actually profaning my name. Because why? If you do that, you're treating him as not a great king. In fact, not only are you treating him not as the great king, you're actually treating him less than a normal king. You're actually treating him as less than an earthly king. Because can you imagine if a king were sitting there on the throne and you're like, oh, great king, I've got a sacrifice for you. And you bring in some sort of mutant looking sheep uh, and like, I, you're so great. I'm going to give you this one. He's extra special. He's got six legs. Uh, you know, here, take, take this one. That growth on its face, that's good. That's good meat right there. This is, this is a sacrifice to you, oh great king. Whoa, you would be, they would be so afraid to do that to an earthly king. They would know if they tried it, they would die. That if you did that, if you, this is something a prophet would do, right? I'm going to show you what type of king you are, O earthly king. Here's your nasty sacrifice. I'm going to bring you some blemish, you know, weird warthog-looking animal and say, this is what you deserve. And God says, when we do that, when the people give less than what they're supposed to, when they cheat the Lord, they are profaning his name. They're actually, he says, not fearing him. And he says, not only is my name going to be feared among my peoples, my name's to be feared among the nations. If my own people won't fear my name, I'm going to make sure I am the great king, the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared not just in Zion, not just in Israel. My name will be feared among the nations. How can we be too afraid of earthly kings but not fear God. God's name is above theirs. And he says he will make his name to be feared. He will make his name to be honored in this world. So the, the kings of this world, they want to be remembered. They want to have their names lifted up. They want, I mean, that's why you get, you know, they're like, we're going through and here's another city, Alexander. What should we call it? Let's call this one Alexandria also. 
Uh, and then this one, how about this one? Let's name this one after my father. Uh, how about this one? Let's go again, Alexandria, because those people probably don't know it. It's a long ride to the next place. Uh, and so you get all of this desire to, for your name to be honored, for you to be remembered. Kings want that. They long for that. That's why they build giant pyramids to themselves, right? Let's build something that even the desert can't blow away so that people will remember how great I was. Those kings want to do that, and they are forgotten. But God is the great king who can actually hallow his name, who can holify his name, who can make his name separate, distinct, stand out from all the other kings of this world. So what makes God a great king? He defends his name. He defends his honor. He will not be cheated. He will not be profaned. His name will be feared among the nations. Why? Because he is a great king. He is the Lord of hosts. Not just the Lord, not just the ruler of some small peon country with a few demons behind it. I mean, he is the Lord of the hosts. He will defend his name and that makes him a great king. And so when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we're actually praying for the thing that will bring about the thing that we just prayed for. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, the very thing that's going to cause that name to be hallowed is for God's kingdom to come. Because when God's kingdom comes and the king is here, what will he do? He will hallow his name. He will make sure his name is held holy among the nations. Lastly, God is a, is a great king because he is creator of all. He is, he is creator of all. We see this in Psalm 95. Verses 3 through 6. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So the kings of this world, they, they love praise. They love to be lifted up. They love to tout their power. No, I am the most powerful person on there. I'm the most powerful. My kingdom is more powerful than your kingdom because I'm a better king. I'm a more powerful king than you are. But there's one thing that no king on earth can ever take credit for. God alone is creator. He alone is the one who can hold the depths in his hands he can hold the deep he can he can the, the heights of the mountains are nothing to him the sea is his why because he made it his hands form the dry land the people are called here to rejoice in god's greatness because he alone is the great king not just the one ruling over us all but the one who made us all he is our creator. He's not just our ruler. He's our creator. He is the source of all power. There is no king like him. No king powerful like God who can hold the, the oceans in his hand. So the Bible, if we're looking at what makes the kingdom of God so great, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is, is great because its king is great. Why is the kingdom of God great? What makes him a 
great king. He protects his people. He guides his people. He defends his name. He is the creator of everything. All the other kings of this earth. These are the things they long to be. These are the things they want to do. And the gods behind them want the same thing. They even claim that they can do this. But only God can keep his promise. Why do we want the kingdom to come? Because with that kingdom comes the great king. Let's pray. Just as we take a moment to think, and I think the chief thing we can do today is to just take time to praise the Lord for who He is. Praise God that He is the great King. Just take a moment to just tell God, I mean, God, I, have, I, I am just shocked by how magnificent You are. And just worship Him in the, the splendor of His majesty. This is the king. This is the great king. And we can think about how moved we'd be to meet kings on earth. How, how shocked we'd be if, oh, if the king of such and such were in our building today. Oh, if the, the, the president or, oh, if this person were here. Oh, I can't believe. Oh, how, how splendid they are. Today we're in the presence of the great king. The king of kings. Today we come to worship the king that all other kings of this earth wish that they were. That they pantomime trying to be. How are we not shaken by that majesty? How are we not moved by that holiness? How have we become so familiar with the great king that we have lost the fear of his name? so that we don't shout for joy when we sing about Him, we can somehow mumble our praises about Him. I tell you what, if a, if a king were here, if the president, and we're supposed to give him honor, we would, we would do it loudly. We'd say, oh, I want to give him the respect due to that, that title, that position. How in the world can we sing songs to God and do it softly? How can we not be moved to joy that this great king is our great king? How can we not worship Him? The King who, who has protected us, who has crushed our enemies under our feet. Who, has, who, has, who has guided us and is guiding us every day, including today, guiding us to see how amazing He is. Guiding us to see how we haven't held Him as amazing like we should. Convicting us of having a lower standard of him than he deserves when he could have, he could have just slain us for the worship that we gave. Because we profaned his name, because we weren't thinking about him, we weren't giving, we were cheating him in our worship. Our minds were on other things. Our hearts were on other things. We did it. We went through the motions. As if he is a puppet king. Our king is great and greatly to be praised. He protects us. He guides us. And He will defend His name. He could have done that by probably slaying every one of us this morning. But instead, He's doing it by convicting us. 
by holifying his name in our hearts right now. We thought, you know what? I didn't think about you, God, when I was singing. I didn't think you at least to the degree I should have. I wasn't as joyous as I should have been. I was thinking about other things. When I was hearing your word, I wasn't as amazed. This is the word of my God. Oh, I need to pay attention to what my God is saying. Who cares what that guy's saying? I want to know what God is saying. These are his words, and, and I want to make sure I understand the greatness of my king. Convicting us of those things. Holifying his name in our hearts, even today. And there is no God like our God. He has made us. He is sustaining us just as he does all of creation. All the things that this ruler, that the rulers of this earth want to be, he is. Or as God himself would say, I am. That is our God, the great king. And that is why we want his kingdom to come. You'll only want his kingdom to come when you see him as a great king. Father, today we just want to praise you. We want to take a moment to maybe in, in our conviction even just praise you. In our repentance of saying, you know what, you're a greater king than I've been giving you credit for. Even if I've been singing loudly even, I can sing more loudly and more joyous. I can put everything into my worship of you. So, Father, we we come and we say, one, if we haven't held you to be the king that you deserve to be, Father, we are sorry. We repent of that. And and we will lift you up. We will not profit. We will not cheat you of the worship that you deserve. We will not treat you as less than we would the kings of this earth. Father, we, we thank you for your protection. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you that you have made us, not just as as people, but you have made us your children. You are the one who created a, a new heart in us. Who who established your kingdom in us. And so, Father, we come here today and we thank you for the king that you are. And we're thankful. God, that we are a part of this kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ. And that it is only through him, King of kings, Lord of lords, that we find access into this kingdom. And so, Father, we worship you today. We lift you up. We want this to be a day of worship and praise of you, the great King. May we remember that. May we lift you up all day today. May this truly be the Lord's day, as there is no king like you. Thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.